Hi, my name is Tristan. And this is Reza. On this episode of Loading Screen, did you ever want to be a rock star? Did you ever want to be a dancer or a singer? Well, he came to the right place. We're going to talk about rhythm games. Yeah, I, Tristan, you took point on this one as well. Um, you also have a greater history with rhythm games than I do. Uh, so as an outsider myself, uh, what at its core is a rhythm game? At its core, a rhythm game is a game that challenges a player's sense of rhythm. <laughs> I, <laughs> thank you, Thanks. Wikipedia. Thanks, Tristan. It, it's like one of those like English papers that you write, right? It's like, define capitalism. Uh, <laughs> well, capitalism is the act of uh, employing capital, right? It's like a circular <laughs> definition almost. I, okay, to go into a little bit deeper, games in this genre challenge the player's uh, ability to press buttons at precise times. Usually there's a screen that shows which button the player has to press, um, and the game awards points for both accuracy and synchronization. And the game, the genre also includes games that measure rhythm and pitch, right? So uh, games where you are tested in your singing ability or uh, how well you can control their volume, how hard you press each button. And while songs can be sight read, players usually have to practice to master more difficult songs and, and, and different settings. That's interesting. Where do you think people find um, satisfaction with, with these kinds of games? Yeah. And and that's why my intro is so awkward. I think at the end of the day, rhythm games really provide players the opportunity to like, you know, be in the fantasy of being a rock star, you know, mm-hmm. play a guitarist, a bassist, a drummer, um, maybe you're singing. I think a lot of rhythm games have the component of mimicking different types of uh, basically like musical skills. And being able to do that in a very low pressure environment, being able to do that with your friends, being able to do that with songs that you know and love, I, I think that's what creates the incentive to play rhythm games. Yeah, that makes sense. I will also say, I think the few times I have played rhythm games, there's just something immensely satisfying about like landing those, uh, you know, landing those hits, right? Like the game is fundamentally about being precise and, yep. uh, you know, like hitting things. And when, when that's done well, there's just a, a visceral reaction to that, um, which I personally find very satisfying the few times that I'm actually actually good at it. Yeah, I would say if the human brain was wired for quick feedback loops, rhythm games mm. have the quickest feedback loop because every note that you hit basically usually has some like visual component associated. Yeah, that makes sense. In 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 and in newer generations, there's also like literal tactical feedback, right? Like if you're playing you know, the way that rumbles are in games, you like actually feel it in your hands when you're, when you hit those things at the right times. Yeah. Uh, so that's super interesting. Yeah. You've talked a little bit about obviously how you think all games are, are, are rhythm games. I guess that makes like researching the history of something like this very complicated, right? Yeah. Like uh, it, where do you start? Do you start with uh, Tetris? Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. Where, where does this really start? We're going to go back to Pong. no i for this research episode i I try to still keep it within the bounds of like there needs to be some musical component to it right i would say as with most video game things (laughs) rhythm games started in japan nice um and it started back in the 1970s 
by someone named Kenzo Furukawa. And he made a game where you lift girls' skirts in time to some rhythm. Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I thought this was a joke when I was doing the research, but this is the earliest implementation of a rhythm game that I could find. There's actually no title that I can find for it. There's no title. It's just the, the guy who made it, his name is Kenzo Furukawa. Yeah. So. <gasps> I, I, wow. I, okay. I, I'll just... Any comments? I don't know what to say. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of... We just got done with the dating sim recording of this game. And so going from that to this is, is pretty uh, pretty apt. Um, yeah, because there wasn't that much... What do you call it? Uh, there was no name for it. Uh, it was an electromechanical game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of those like very, very, very old school arcade games. I can't even find any photos when I was doing the research. Um, so I, I can kind of skip over it uh, just because I, I don't have much details about it myself. So a, a little bit of evolution after that. In 1987, there was a game called Dance Aerobics, released as Aerobics Studio in Japan, developed by Human Entertainment, where players had to use the NES power pad. And this is not the controller. I, I thought it was the controller when I first read the words power pad. Um, Raza can see the image that I posted in our doc, but it's kind of like a plastic dance dance revolution pad. If you've ever used one of those before, yeah, or like yeah. a twister pad, I would say. And there's Did like this buttons on. Come it. with the NES, or was it something that you had to like purchase separately? It was an accessory that you had to buy. Gotcha. Okay. And there were kind of two modes in the game. You mimicked an on-screen instructor who moved to the music to press the buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an aspect of creating music as well. So the pad actually had two different sides. Um, one, which is more like Twister of you just there's like colors. It's red and blue. You step on the right direction. And the other side, which had numbers on it. And I... I I, I didn't watch videos, but you kind of you tap the number of buttons to create different sounds and make music. Yeah, that's super interesting. It sounds like it's a lot more about like creating the music rather than being exactly on the beat, right. um, or you know, in, uh, requiring like the level of precision that future rhythm games require. Really. Yeah, and I, I would say the real rhythm video game, the one that really kickstarted the genre. Going back to your definition of, of being precise, making sure you're pressing the right buttons, is Parappa the Rapper. Uh, came out on the PS1, developed by Nana Nansha um, in 1996. And this was a game where he played as a, I think he's a dog, a rapper, uh, <laughs> who is an actual dog. And you press buttons, and each button would make him say words. So essentially, the players are pressing the buttons to make the character rap like a verse. And and I would say that was like the official start of real rhythm video game. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think just based off of this like brief overview that you've given, it seems like there's two major approaches to to playing rhythm games. One of them is obviously um, you know peripheral based, which most people are, are aware of, like Dance Dance Revolution and and things like that. But then obviously there is more alternatives that are more traditional, right? Like with just control pads. Um, should we dive into some of those specifics as well? Yeah. So rhythm games history is very convoluted. I think how you brought it up, Raza, is probably the best way to break it down. I'll, I'll try to you know, keep it separate to Japan and US because the history starts to diverge a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But 
I, I would say, you know, Parappa the Rapper, Parappa the Rapper is control based. You use your controller buttons. But as it was really taking off, there was a huge focus on peripherals. So peripherals mm-hmm. means um, accessories, right? You need to buy something extra to play the games. And maybe we can start with Japan. So in Japan, Konami, which uh, we talked about in the dating sim uh, episode as well with uh, Tokimeki Memorial, mm-hmm. was the leading forefront developer of all rhythm games. So first one, Beat Mania, which is a DJ turntable simulator. So it has seven buttons, actually nine buttons, I believe, five on the bottom, four on the top. That kind of mimics a keyboard. It has a turntable and there's a screen where each button represents a lane on the screen and the and the notes basically fall down. You have to tap it as it comes down. And this also had a very similar mechanic to Parappa where every time you press the button, it would play a sound effect or a note in the game. So you're basically playing the song. There's another one. I think this one is very, very popular. Dance Dance Revolution, also yep. known as DDR, came out in 1998 for the first time in arcades. This is a game where there's a metal pad with four directional arrows, north, south, east, west. And similar to Beat Mania, as the notes come down on screen or go up on the screen, you tap it with your feet to the music, and and that's the rhythm game. There were two other games, Guitar Freaks. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Came out in 1999, and uh, this was kind of a... The accessory here was a guitar, and Drum Mania, which came around the same time, where the accessory was a drum. So... This was really taking off in Japan. A lot of it didn't come to the West, unfortunately, because uh, people didn't care. And I'll go into why. But DDR was one of the ones that really, really took off. And there were reports of the U.S. importing these machines illegally (laughs) because Japan couldn't make enough of them. And these are huge machines, too. You've probably seen one in person, right? No, yeah. I think anyone that's been to an arcade has seen DDR. It's definitely the most popular one. They're they're massive. Just metal. Yeah. And I I don't know about you. Maybe we can take a pause here of, like, rhythm games tend to be, like, a centerpiece in the arcade just due to their size. And they just have flashing lights everywhere. The music's blasting. I don't know about you, but I was always scared to play them because I didn't want people to watch me. Oh, I was terrified. Um, they're, they're, they're absolutely like the opposite of the traditional gaming ecosystem, right? Like most games, you just like sit there and kind of play play buttons and things like that. There's also right. like a stereotype that gamers are like lazy or whatever. Um, and I think like rhythm games. Twice in two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and, but like something like DDR was a very active game. Like mm-hmm. especially if you were surrounded by people, it was very visible. I was scared. I was to- definitely scared to play these kinds of games. Yeah. And and one other call out, Taiko no Tatsujin, which is one of my favorite rhythm games, Taiko Drum Master, as it's called in the US. The accessory there is a uh, Taiko drum, like in Japan. So it's like one of these really big drums. Um, it comes with two drumsticks and you, you hit each side of the drum or both of it at the same time to hit the notes. Oh, on very the cool. Okay. Yeah. So So that's what was going on in Japan between the 90s and 2000s. What about the U.S.? And in the U.S., initially, there weren't that many successful games. One, the biggest prohibitive factor was the fact that these things shipped in really big sizes, right? Like we mm-hmm. talked about DDR. DDR is huge. Yeah. Um, or their peripherals are very expensive to produce. 
which means the prices of these games were really high. So there, there was just not much demand. And this was kind of going into the late 90s. So I would say uh, probably like first person shooters were on the rise, right? Like PC was really taking off to a certain extent. So I don't think there was much of a demand here. Mm-hmm. And arcades were also dying in North America. I think arcades are still pretty much dead over here. Um, yeah. Whereas in Japan, even when I went there back in 2019, they're a pretty big like social location to hang out in. People go there all the time. So yeah, so a lot of rhythm games that came out in North America were the likes of like Guitaru Man on the PS2. Space mm-hmm. Channel 5 on the Dreamcast. They bo- they were you know either input devices, so like accessories or traditional controllers, and both of them didn't honestly do that well. And all this changed in 2004 when Sony released the first entry in the long-running SingStar series. <laughs> so this is a karaoke game. It comes with the mic. You sing and you know mm-hmm. hit the notes. And very soon after that, Two small game companies, one called Red Octane and Harmonix, took the idea of Guitar Freaks, and they made basically a series of games that took over the game industry, I would say, during the late 2000s. Yeah. The first of which, I'm sure everyone has played it at this point, Guitar Hero. The first version came out on PS2 in 2005. It comes with a guitar peripheral that has five buttons at the top of the frets, and and you strum the the guitar uh, plastic item thing, uh, yeah. instrument instrument. <laughs> they, that game has earned over a billion dollars in revenue so far, and this is what really kickstarted the whole rhythm game craze over in the West. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I remember even as a kid, we used to play Guitar Hero and, and Rock Band all the time. It was definitely like a craze in elementary and middle school um, of just like going over to a friend's house. And, and that was like generally the game that a lot of us played um, if we weren't playing like Call of Duty or something like that. Yeah. And I think going back to what you mentioned about like perception and how rhythm games were built initially, right? Very arcade heavy, very flashy, very loud. Guitar yeah. Hero, Hero was still very fun, but you can do it in like the comfort of your own home, right? Yeah, for sure. It was. I think the guitar was really the first foray. It, like, it, it was the most accessible peripheral, at least as far as I remember. Um, I, I don't know if it was a matter of price or what, but that was the first time I remember actually playing with something that wasn't like a controller, uh, at least in like friends' homes and things like that. So that was made in 05 really started to accelerate the genre here. And I'm going to talk about Harmonix for a bit because you're going to hear this name throughout this episode a lot. So Harmonix was formed in 1995 from a computer music group at MIT. And they have just been making rhythm games, I I think, for for the entirety of their existence, almost. Oh, wow. Um, it's, It's insane. So I, I don't want to go into the, the history of the, the, what do you call it, uh, studio itself. They made a, a bunch of other earlier rhythm games called Frequency, but the really big one um, was they collaborated with Red Octane to make Guitar Hero. And then two years later, they made Rock Band um, in 2007 for the Xbox 360. So maybe I didn't describe Guitar Hero well enough. You, you can play with up to two people, um, I believe. And each of each person had a guitar peripheral. Rock Band, um, t- to its name, you get four instruments. 
you get a guitar, you get a bass guitar, you get a drum kit and a microphone. Oh, wow. And it's basically a rhythm game that allows for different types of players to, to mimic different instruments. Interesting. How expensive was this back then? Do you know? Just for, I, we don't even need to include this in the podcast, but I can't remember how much it cost. It was like $200, $250. That's pretty cheap, actually. I would have expected a lot more for all that shit. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, all of it was plastic. Yeah, but I mean, I just imagined like the drum set. That's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm underplaying it. Yeah. Sorry. Rock Band 1 bundle cost $170. Rock Band 2 cost $190. It just kept going up. I think gotcha. uh, it became more expensive to, to yeah. build. No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, now if you want to get Rock Band, it's well, first, they don't make it anymore. And second, it's $850 on Amazon. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. So yeah, like this game, uh, harmonics between Guitar Hero and Rock Band just dominated not just the rhythm game scene, but the mm-hmm. entire video game uh, scene as well. Like, was this also in Japan, or was this largely here in uh, in the U.S.? This was largely here on, okay. on the West. Gotcha. So it wasn't as big of a deal in uh, in Eastern markets. No, because gotcha. they all they already had their arcade games. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't need to buy this for their home. They would just go and That's play fair. Guitar That's Freaks at, at the arcade. And these games were honestly able to compete against the Giants in like 2007. Um, Guitar Hero Three was the best-selling game in North America in 2007, and this was when games such as Bioshock came out, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Portal, oh, wow. Crisis, right? Assassin's oh Creed One, Super That's Mario a great Galaxy. Year. Yeah, <laughs> at, at the top we had uh, Guitar Hero Three. Damn, that's actually really impressive. Yeah, so that uh, it, it just came out of nowhere, and it just took the took the culture by storm at that point, and it and it continued for the next few years. So, like at its height in two thousand eight, music games or rhythm games represented about eighteen percent of the video game market, mm-hmm. and harmonics and and these folks were just churning out these games so we had like weird spin-offs such as like they made one called band hero for pop music specific things lego rock band for younger players um <laughs> you've probably played some variant of like guitar hero rock band for metallica or green day like they they made one specifically for bands and then it just like fell off a cliff um where in 2009, they, the, the market was around $700 million in sales, whereas mm-hmm. the year before was about $1.5 billion, so 50% loss. Oof. And eventually, Rock Band 3 um, sold 7,500 units in the first two days. Jesus. Uh, it ended up selling 1 in, 1.2 million units over uh, three years. But compare this with Rock Band 1, which was yeah. able to sell 4 million units in the first year alone. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I, I I remember in that time, it definitely became less common anyways for folks to play it at that time. It was like a, a like a rush for, for a couple of years and then it definitely tapered down. Yeah. And a, a lot of analysts uh, think it's because of the hardware saturation. Mm-hmm. Like, like we mentioned, the pricing, Rock Band is $160. That's more than double the price of a video game, a AAA yep. video game. 
if you have a drum set already, you're not going to go buy another one when Rock Band 2 comes out. So yeah. it's, it was basically a, a spike when everyone was buying the hardware. And then after everyone had it, uh, the software wasn't able to keep up. Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. So yeah, that's that's kind of the arc um, in terms of peripheral-based rhythm games, at least from the beginning up until around 2010. Gotcha. So what about um, control-based? I would assume yeah. that's a lot more accessible for folks. Yeah, so control-based, uh, just to define it a little bit more, it is games that utilize the controls already on the hardware. So, you know, if you have a DS, it uses a touchscreen. If you have a controller, it uses that. And this kind of overlapped with some of the timing with the peripheral base, but it came a little bit later. And there was definitely a shift in focus around uh, less about mimicking inst- playing instruments, right? Which was kind of the big appeal of playing Guitar Hero or Rock Band. And more of a focus around visuals, features, kind of like trying to push the boundaries of a rhythm game a little bit more. So I listed five games here. I can kind of deep dive into each of them where uh, maybe we can start with Rhythm Heaven, which was first released in on the Nintendo DS uh, in 2008. And have you played WarioWare before? No, never. Okay, well, you're going to make this hard to explain. So <laughs> uh, Rhythm Heaven is like a... Coll- it was on the DS, so it utilized uh, the buttons and the touchscreen and it was a collection of like rhythm mini games. It's not it's not about choosing a song and you play through that song. Um, but there are examples of like, hey, you're building a robot in match to a uh, rhythm, and you have to press the button at the right time so you can screw on the head of the robot properly. <laughs> or you know, you're you're playing golf and you're trying to hit the ball into the hole and you need yeah. to time your shots properly so you can get a hole in one. So there was a lot more focus on like the visual aspect, the little like narrative around it rather than oh i want to play this metallica song on on my guitar some other games that i think were pretty uh interesting audio surf uh came out in 2008 on the pc i remember explicitly because this was one of the first games i bought on steam um (laughs) this is a game where you play as a ship uh and uh there's like five lanes that you can move around and notes come down you have to collect them and the big draw of this game is you can load your own songs oh very interesting yeah. And then the game would generate the beat map. A uh, beat map is what they call like the notes uh, sequence. Yep. Um, uh, it would generate it for you. So, you know, if you had like a bunch of MP3s, as people did back in that, uh, back in those, those days, you can play uh, this game to the songs that you have. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I think Elite Beat Agents is another one I want to call. I wanted to call out. Came out on the DS as well in 2006. Um, it was a spiritual sequel to a very popular rhythm game in uh, Japan, and this utilized kind of uh, circles on the touchscreen of the DS in time to the music. And you would have to tap them at the right time. You would have to spin little spinners on the screen. Uh, and the draw of this game was that there was usually like a story that went along with each of the songs that you played. And if you failed or passed, like the branch would change. Oh, that's super interesting. I like how it's kind of adding that like narrative element to some degree. Yeah. It's hard for me to categorize control-based games more than that, just because they're so wildly different. But a lot of the focus is less around, hey, I want to make innovative use of this plastic drum kit that's sitting in front of me. And more about, hey, how can we push the boundary? Should we tell more of a narrative thing? Should we add more features? Uh, and, and that's what control-based games kind of started as. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I also wonder, uh, and let me know if you did research on this, but I wonder whether there's variations of those um, peripheral-based games which have kind of been adapted to be more controller-based. Like, I can imagine things like Rock Band could be done with a keyboard and mouse if you really, really wanted them to be. Um, so I wonder if there's like a niche market out there for folks that are curious about some of the more traditional uh, uh, rhythm-based games, but obviously don't want to go out and purchase an $800 Guitar Hero kit. Yeah. Um, yes, because like we mentioned, arcades are sometimes access, uh, unaccessible, inaccessible here in the mm-hmm. West. Um, there are simulator simulators of some of the most popular games. So for Dance Dance Revolution, there is an app uh, called Step Mania, which you can play with your keyboard if you want, um, or you can buy your own mat slash dance pad to play at your house. And you can load up custom songs on it too. For uh, Guitar Hero, um, there's a program called Frets on Fire, which you can play with your keyboard as well. Gotcha. Um, okay. There's cool. a game called Osu, which is basically the variant of Elite Beat Agents that I just talked about that you can play with your mouse instead of a DS. So, yes, I think depending on how big the games are, there has been like simulators uh, of these games that you can run on your PC that you can just play with your mouse and keyboard. Yeah, that makes sense. I also remember um, when Microsoft released their like Connect, uh, uh, you know, peripheral. There was also a lot of games at that time that obviously did away with peripherals in general. What um, you know, what kind of of other explorations were there for the genre beyond controls and and, and peripherals? Yeah, um, I'll get into that, but I, I forgot to put this in the production notes. But I want to go okay. back to Japan for a little bit because we left them alone. And whenever you leave Japan alone with video games, uh, <laughs> some weird stuff happens. So I want to see, I want to see what's going on. So, meanwhile, in Japan, since two thousand four, so two thousand four, right? Like Guitar Hero is about to come out, Rock Band is about to come out. We mm-hmm. have some of these control based stuff. What's going on in the arcades over there? Sega released a game called Love and Berry Dress Up and Dance, originally for <laughs> the arcades in two thousand four. I love it. And this was a collectible card game more so than a rhythm game. Interesting. But this started a huge surge of other companies releasing very similar things. So collectible card game in this sense means like, I don't know how to put this properly, like young females in a virtual (laughs) render, uh, (gasps) if you can kind of imagine that. So just to go through it quickly, Taito made a game called Kira Kira Idol Rika-chan. Atlas, who makes Persona, um, they make Kirarin Revolution, Happy Idol Life, um, Tomi, Bandai, Konami. They all made their own version of this, like, let's collect uh, 3D renders of female characters <laughs> and then put a little bit of rhythm elements onto it. Oh, my God. Why? Um, <laughs> <laughs> why does every why. genre have to be polluted with this shit? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and by 2008, virtual idols were just taking off in Japan. We can probably do a whole episode just on this at some point, but Love Live is a very popular game in Japan. Um, oh. came out in 2013. You're basically kind of uh, playing as a school idol group of girls, and it, it's it's just a pure rhythm game. It just has elements of that uh, virtual idol female characters in it. Bang Dream is another one. Uh, I, I don't know why it's named that, to be honest. <laughs> Bang Dream? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
What's funny is that the G is capitalized in Bang Tree. Yeah, that's how it's uh, stylized. Um, oh Idol Master is another series that's very popular. And a lot of these games, the, the defining feature is that, yes, it's a rhythm game. You're playing songs, you're gaining points. But these also have a gotcha mechanic to roll new types of idols. And you put these idols on your team to get different um, uh, uh, power-ups and, and, and little uh, shortcuts for your actual gameplay. So that that's what was devolving in Japan uh, since devolving 2004. It's a good way uh, to describe it. But I, I, I wanted to highlight some other games as well. I, I think we started the history aspect of, hey, Japan really kickstarted it with peripherals, different innovative types of controllers, um, and, you know, at its core, tapping to the beat, you know, pressing to the beat. So since then, I just want to name off a couple of rhythm games that have come out um, and, and just explain to you what these new peripherals look like. So there was one called Crossbeats, which was a um, touchscreen. It's like a huge 20-inch touchscreen. And buttons come up and you tap it with your fingers. That one's not as innovative. Um, Groove Coaster was another one where mm-hmm. uh, the peripheral in that case were these huge, large buttons uh, that you have to press down and move in different directions. Imagine like you took the PS5 thumbsticks and mm-hmm. made it about 20 times bigger. That's basically what you're using. So gotcha. you, you press down on it. You sometimes have to move it in different directions. Um Sound Voltex is another one that was very innovative, um, similar to Beat Mania, where you're kind of running a uh, DJ um, turntable uh, equipment. This one has buttons, but it also has knobs. So knobs is the biggest feature here, where uh, you have to turn it left and right, depending on when the notes come down. It's really hard to explain all this without the visual aspect, so please look these up on YouTube if you get the chance. My My is another popular one. I call it the washing machine uh, rhythm game <laughs> because it has a circular screen in the middle and it has buttons kind of on the circumference of the of the circle and you have to press them all, all around. Jubeat was another one where it was a 4x4 four four cube that you press buttons on. Dance Rush Stardom is kind of a, uh, I, I would call it like DDR Plus, where it's an entire touch pad instead of four buttons that you're dancing on. Yeah, so like... Yes, Japan had some weird <laughs> things going on with virtual idols, but they were still pushing things forward in the peripheral area, mostly in the arcades. Gotcha. That's super interesting. Yeah, I know. It's it's also really interesting hearing the different approaches um, that that you know the, the, the different markets went into. Obviously, like it seems like just off the little that I've heard today, the Western market was very focused on like pretty concrete things that people are already used to, right? Like rock yeah. band, like guitars and, mm-hmm. and drums and things like that. Whereas the Western market uh, or the Eastern market was obviously pretty open to trying out completely random things um, and, and really kind of just going with it. That's super interesting. Yeah. You, you don't play music on your uh, washing machine? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't okay. have a washing machine. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I see. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's what's been going on. And now we're at like, let's say 2010, right? We've talked about peripheral based. We've talked about control based. Japan's doing their own thing. Guitar hero and rock bands dying. What happened? This is around the time that motion control came out. So if you remember, the Nintendo Wii came uh, came out around 2006. And developers started to realize that they can use motion controls as an input, basically. And 
the emphasis became less about playing the music, which is what we were all excited about, and more to dancing to the music. So uh, this is kind of where we're still at in terms of the era, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Just Dance, which originally came out in 2009 2009 for the week uh, by Ubisoft. Um, It's crazy. That series has a, it's like FIFA. There's a annual version that comes out. Oh, wow. Interesting. I didn't know And that. it comes out for literally every single platform. Believe it or not, Just Dance 2020 released on the Wii. Not the Wii U. <laughs> the Wii. It looks like 2021 is also coming out pretty soon. Yeah. And it, it just took off. The first version that came out in 09 uh, sold 4.3 million copies. It's currently the second most large Ubisoft franchise. It sold 70 million units overall. And this, this game is literally just you hold on to your Wiimote or your Switch controller. Or, you know, if you're using an Xbox, it uses the Kinect. I think on the PS4, it uses the Move controllers if you have them. Yeah. And it, it, on the screen, it basically like treadmills different movements that you have to do to dance to the songs. And you just do that. Yeah, this was, I think, one of the staple ones that the Kinect used um, when it was first released to kind of show off the potential of no controller-based gameplay. Um, I remember there used to be, like, malls, uh, or at the mall near my house, they had a Kinect set up, and I think you could actually play Just Dance um, and just, like, groove in the middle of the mall, which obviously I didn't do. Um, but, <laughs> like, it was pretty interesting. I think uh, it was definitely the first time where... It was the first major foray into, like, a completely new um, type of game, if that makes sense. Or like a yeah. new type of a controller. Yeah, your body is the controller. I, I forget yeah. if that was the marketing uh, line that they use for Kinect. <laughs> and there were other games that were very similar as well. Um, Dance Central is another very popular dancing uh, motion-based rhythm game developed by a little someone called Harmonix, again. <laughs> um, first came out in 2010 for the Xbox 360. And as we go into even like VR uh world like beat saber is a huge game right yeah have you played beat saber no it's on my i really want to play it but i don't have a vr headset so i haven't Uh, i haven't gotten a chance to try it do you so yes i i have a vr headset oh nice um that was a segue that wasn't podcast (laughs) um and yeah beat saber if you haven't played it before it's in vr you use your like two controllers each controller represents a colored stick um, and cubes come flying at you with like which directions you have to slash them and you slash them through the music. So, yeah, if I have to recommend one game for this entire episode, it would definitely be Beat Saber, even though I haven't played it. Um, mm-hmm. You can just watch gameplay videos of it on, on YouTube. But it's a it's a really great example of like the very visceral reason why people like rhythm games, right? Like you have that yeah. striking, you have the music um, and it's just a fun experience, uh, even if you hate dancing like I do. Uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. Plus one. It's also a good workout. <laughs> Maybe I should get a VR headset just for just for just for Beat Saber. Beat Saber. Get the yeah. uh the Quest. Quest is pretty cheap. <laughs> that's that's where I I play. I don't have the the fancy like index or anything like that. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So yeah, those are kind of the different eras or different sub genres. I would say of rhythm games. So just yeah. to recap, we have peripheral based which usually tends to mimic uh, an instrument. Um, We have controller-based, which utilizes the current hardware for your consoles, and motion-based, which uses your body. 
Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Um, so what's next for this genre? I mean, like, what are what are some of the directions that, that it's heading in in the future that, that you're excited about, since I know you're a super big fan of, of rhythm games? Yeah, I think one big thing has been genre crossovers. Mm-hmm. So things that aren't necessarily pure rhythm games, but kind of mixed in with other things. I think two good examples here are Beat Hazard, which is a shoot 'em up. So you're playing mm-hmm. as a ship. It's like a bullet hell game. There's a lot of bullets shooting at you, and you have to kill all the enemies. Crypt of the Necrodancer. Have you played that one? I haven't. I see. You might like it because it's a roguelike rhythm game. Interesting. Okay. And I think you guys mentioned this in the uh, the studio interview we did. Yeah. And basically, the movement is tied to the rhythm. Um, you, you can only move on the beat. So ah. that's where the uh, kind of the forcing function of what uh, actions you want to take come in. Because the enemies move to the rhythm, you move to the rhythm, and that's how the battle system works. Um, so that's one area where I think rhythm games are going. Another area is actually the revival of the peripherals. Um, uh, th- there was an attempt about five years ago. Uh, Harmonix made Rock Band 4 in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not go well. How bad did it go? Um, they actually partnered with Mad Cats, which is a peripheral making company. They're, I think they're bankrupt now. Oof. Because of Rock Band 4, they oh. had to lay off 40% of their staff. Oh my God, that's horrible. Oh God. Yeah. So yeah, Mad Cats was responsible for producing the hardware for Rock Band 4, and it sold so poorly that uh, they ended up reporting a loss of 11 million. Uh, they laid off 40% of the uh, staff, and like I think Harmonix basically said, we're not going to make any Rock Bands anymore. <laughs> Understandably, that's, that's horrible. Yeah. And then at the same time, Guitar Hero also ha- had to, uh, tried to do a revival. Um, developed by Freestyle Games in 2015, same year. Actually, the games between Rock Band 4 and Guitar Hero Live, they released about two weeks apart, which is insane. Damn. And that game also did pretty horrible. And Activision laid off Freestyle Games, the the, the studio that made Guitar Hero Live, and then they ended up selling the company to Ubisoft in 2017. And... Jesus. So it hasn't been a, a great picture for, no. the, for any of these. <laughs> no. That's so sad. Uh, Guitar Hero Live also had a live mode that kind of kept adding songs. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up shutting that down in 2018. So people who still have the game right now, uh, before they used to have access to about 500 songs, and now mm-hmm. it's down to 42. So I think there was a lawsuit nice. to Activision about that as well. Oh my God. And I think the newest attempt also by harmonics uh kudos to those folks for continuing to try they made a game called fuser in 2020 and this game is like almost like a card game i i would encourage you to look up a picture of it it's really hard to describe um you have a dj table that has slots for uh, a couple cards and you play the cards to add in instruments sound filters uh samples and and you're like mixing a song together interesting um and i'll go through the other two areas quick uh another genre that's kind of started has been the utilization of actual instruments so rocksmith is a game developed by ubisoft uh it came out in 2011 there's rocksmith plus coming out uh, later this year i believe and this is a game where you actually hook up your electric guitar 
to your console or computer. Yeah, it looks like they're they're positioning it as like a learning opportunity, right? Where yeah. you can like actually learn the instrument. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think the last bit I want to touch upon was the indie scene, which mm-hmm. a lot of the innovation comes out of there. So uh, Unbeatable, developed by D-Cell Games, we interviewed them for next week's episode. Um, they have a lot of push on art and story. Rhythm Doctor, which I bought as part of this research because I was so interested in it. It is insanely fun. I think you should try it out, Reza. <laughs> All right, I'll check it out. Um, it's developed by Seventh Beat Games, which now I understand why. Uh, it came out this year. It's one button. You use the space bar. That's it. And you basically uh-huh. have to press the space bar on the seventh beat every time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Very specific. Yeah. And then the last uh, indie game that I thought would be worth mentioning was Thumper, uh, which is what they call a rhythm violence game. It's a very psychedelic experience. It's out on VR. Um, I played it in pitch black, uh, in a pitch black room with the headphones on and all the lights nice. out. So that was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> you don't normally sit like that, Tristan? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Unbeatable was, uh, was really awesome. I didn't get a chance to try it, but the art style was really beautiful. And all the gameplay that I saw, it was like a very visceral type game again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep using that word with the genre, but I feel like it is really the only one that you know, tackles into why people like this stuff so much is because like when it's done well, you yeah. actually feel it. Um, and I think that's why people enjoy them so much. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the perception and stuff? Yeah. What, what's your yeah. perception? I, I didn't hear the word stigma this episode yet, so I, I'm assuming it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think people have a stigma with these kinds of games. I'd say that the biggest um, association that I have with these things is this idea of like activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very active game as opposed to like a lot of other gaming. Um, and I also think it's in general, like more social to me. Yeah. Um, I, I think you mentioned earlier in, in this uh, recording that like Dance Dance Revolution is obviously something that people look at, right? Like it's, right. it's a very visual experience. Um, and so co- contrary to a lot of gaming, which is typically like a one-on-one or even if it's multiplayer, it's not something that people typically watch outside of like esports. Um, a lot of these genres are very community oriented, very active. And it's definitely different, I think, from what traditional gaming is is often perceived as anyways. Yeah, I, I think if anything, it's almost like a reverse stigma. I don't think that that's the right term, but it's like, hey, you want to play <laughs> rock band? You better have three friends, right? And like yeah. the, the gamer perception is like, oh, where am I going to find three friends to play rock band with me? <laughs> <laughs> I think one other thing I want to bring up is I think the positive social aspect of rhythm games, um, which is hard to say for some of the other genres that we, we've been discussing, rhythm games have been used a lot for health purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Japan, celebrities reported losing weight after playing DDR. Uh, maybe it was a marketing scheme, but I can I can kind of see why that happens. It's it's a lot of like aerobic uh, type of movements. You're, you're kind of jumping around everywhere. Yeah. In the U.S., they actually used it as uh, physical education in West Virginia to try to reduce rates of o- obesity. Did it work? I don't know. I <laughs> I didn't follow up there. I'm sorry. Nice. Great, yeah. great, great research, Tristan. Good, yeah, yeah, that's a gap. Um, and Guitar Hero games have been used alongside of physical therapy to help uh, recovering stroke patients. Because of like the coordinations that you need to do to actually like yeah. play the game, 
That's interesting. Yeah. I've also, uh, this is a backspanning research that I've, done, that I've done, but oftentimes like a lot of the benefit for video games for younger kids is like mm-hmm. response time um, and like literally building the muscle of like Twitch responses. Yeah. Um, like I think I've read that there's research that folks that play video games earlier on generally are faster at reacting to things. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine something like a rhythm game is obviously very uh, helpful for like little kids kind of, you know, growing um, that basic ability of just like being able to react things quickly and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Maybe that's why I'm so bad at them. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think um, that covers all the research for rhythm games. Yeah, no, that's super awesome. I mean, I think, um, as I've said, this is a genre that I historically haven't had had much experience with. Um, And so it's pretty interesting to see the diversity in how to approach it and how obviously the different markets have kind of like tackled it. Um, I think for any listeners, uh, obviously, we would definitely recommend that you guys check out um, uh, unbeatable made by D cells. Uh, we're going to be releasing the episode, um, with them next week, uh, where we kind of dive into some of the, um, you know, the story behind the game and why they kind of built it. Um, it's a really great experience if you get a chance to check it out, but yeah, thanks for listening to us. Uh, Tristan, thanks for doing the research on this. This was definitely pretty interesting. Um, anything else you want to add before we close it off? No, I, I just want to say plus one to, if you can check out the interview next week, it is the most insane, fun experience I've had. <laughs> yeah, year, the group, probably. that studio was a blast to interview with. Not to say that any of the people we interviewed weren't fun, but they, the energy and passion that they have for rhythm games was was really awesome. At least for someone like me also who hadn't played rhythm games very much. It was a great experience. Yeah, we, we probably should have contracted them to run this episode instead of me doing it by myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I guess we like went it back in a circle. No, that's it. That's it for this episode of Loading Screen. Please tune in next week when we have the interview segment for Rhythm Games with the D-Cells team and Unbeatable. Loading Screen is available on Radio Public, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your favorite podcast directories. If you enjoy this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, review, and share it with your friends. We're also on social media as Viewport Gaming on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Loading Screen is part of Viewport Gaming, a game gaming website that provides a look into video games through reviews, features, and podcasts. You can find all Viewport content at viewportgaming.com. And as always, I've been your host, Tristan. And this is Reza. Have a good one, everyone.